Chapter Eight of Mrs. Warren's Daughter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mrs. Warren's Daughter by Sir Harry Johnston. Chapter Eight: The British Church. David had read hard all through the Hillary term with Mr. Stansfield of the Inner Temple. He had passed examinations brilliantly. He had solved knotty problems in the legal line for Fraser and Warren and as already related he had begun to go out into society indeed starting from the rossiters thursdays and prod's studio suppers he was being taken up by persons of influence who were pleased to find him witty possessed of a charming voice of quiet but unassailable manners opinions differed as to his good looks some women proclaimed him as adorable rather sphinx-like you know but quite fascinating with his well-marked eyebrows his dark and curly lashes the rich warm tints of his complexion the unfathomable grey eyes and short upper lip with the down of adolescence upon it other women without assigning any reason admitted he did not produce any effect on their sensibility they disliked law students they said even if they were of a literary turn they also disliked curates and shop-walkers and sidesmen and sunday-school teachers give them manly men avowed soldiers and sailors riders to hounds sportsmen big game hunters gamekeepers chauffeurs the chauffeur was becoming a new factor in society bernard shaw's superman prize-fighters meat salesmen then you knew where you were similarly men were divided in their judgment of him some liked him very much they couldn't quite say why others spoke of him contemptuously like major armstrong had done this was due partly to certain women being inclined to run after him and therefore to jealousy on behalf of the professional lady-killer of the military species and partly to a vague feeling that he was enigmatic sphinx-like as some women said he was too silent sometimes especially if the conversation amongst men tended towards racy stories he was sarcastic and nimble-witted when he did speak and he was not easily bullied if he encountered an insolent person he gave full effect to his five feet eight inches the look from his grey eyes was unwavering as though he tacitly accepted the challenge there was an invisible rapier hanging from his left hip a poise of the body which expressed dauntless courage honoria's stories of his skill in fencing riding swimming ball games helped him here they were perfectly true or sufficiently true mutatis mutandis and when put to the test stood the test david indeed found it well during this first season in town to hire a hack and ride a little in the park it only added one way and another about fifty pounds to his outlay and impressed certain of the benchers who were beginning to turn an eye on him one elderly judge also a park rider developed an almost inconvenient interest in him asked him to dinner introduced him to his daughters and wanted to know a deal too much as to his position and prospects on the whole it was a distinct relief from a public position from this increasing number of town acquaintances this broader and broader track strewn with cunning pitfalls to lock up his rooms and go off to wales for the easter holidays easter was late that year or it has to be for the purpose of my story 
and David was fortunate in the weather and the temperature. If West Glamorganshire had looked richly, grandiosely beautiful in full summer, it had an exquisite, if quite different, charm in early spring, in April. The great trees were spangled with emerald leaf-buds, the cherries, tame and wild, the blackthorn, the plums and pears in orchards and on old, old grey walls, were in full blossom of virgin white. The apple-trees in course of time showed pink buds. The gardens were full of wallflowers. The inhabited country smelt of wallflowers, purple flags, narcissi, hyacinths. The woodland was exquisitely strewn with primroses. In the glades rose innumerable spears of purple half-opened bluebells, the eye ranged over an anemone-dotted sward in this direction, over clusters of smalt-blue dog-violets in another. Ladies' smocks and cowslips made every meadow delicious, and the banks of the lowland streams were gorgeously gilded with king-cups. The mountains on fine days were blue and purple in the far distance, pale green and grey in the foreground. Under the April showers and sun-shafts they became tragic, enchanted, horrific, paradisiac. Even the mining towns were bearable in the spring sunshine. If man had left no effort untried to pile hideosity on hideosity, flat ugliness on nauseous squalor, he had not been able to affect the arch of the heavens in its lucid blue, all smokes and vapours driven away by the spring winds. He had not been able to neutralise the vast views visible from the miners' sordid one-storey dwellings, the panorama of hill and plain, of glistening water, towering peaks, and larch forests of emerald green among the blue scotch pines and the black-green yews. David, in previous letters, looking into his father's budget, had shown him he could afford to keep a pony and a pony-cart. This, therefore, was waiting for him at the little station with a gardener to drive, but in a week David, already a good horseman, had learnt to drive under the gardener's teaching, and then was able to take his delighted father out for whole-day trips to revel in the beauties of the scenery. They would have with them a wicker basket containing an ample lunch prepared by the generous hands of Bridget. They would stop at some spot on a mountain pass, tether the pony, sit on a plaid shawl thrown over a boulder, and feast their eyes on green mountain shoulders reared against the pale blue sky, or gaze across ravines not unworthy of Switzerland or they would put up pony and cart at some village inn, explore old battlemented churches and churchyards with seventeenth and eighteenth century headstones, so far more tasteful and seemly than the hideous death memorials of the nineteenth century, and ever and again the old father, looking more and more like a druid, would recite that charming spring song, the 104th Psalm, or fragments of Welsh poetry sounding very good in Welsh, as no doubt Greek poetry does in properly pronounced Greek, but being singularly bald and vague in its references to earth, sea, sky, and flora when translated into plain English. David expressed some such opinions which rather scandalized his father, who had grown up in the conventional school, 
of unbounded unreasoning reverence for the hebrew greek and celtic classics from that they passed to the great problems the undeterminable problems of the universe the awful littleness of men mere lice perhaps on the scurfy body of a shrinking dying planet of a fifth-rate sun one of a billion other suns the reverend howell like most of the christian clergy of all times of course never looked at the midnight sky or gave any thought to the terrors and mysteries of astronomy a science so modern in fact that it only came into real existence two or three hundred years ago and is even now only taken seriously by about ten thousand people in europe and america where in this measureless universe which indeed might only be one of several universes was god to be found a god that had been upset by the dietary of a small desert tribe who fussed over burnt sacrifices and the fat of rams at one time at another objected to censuses at another and a later date wanted a human sacrifice to placate his wrath or who had washed out the world's fauna and flora in a flood which had left no geological evidence to attest its having taken place did you ever think about the dinosaurs father said david at the end of some such tirade an outburst of free thinking which in earlier years might have upset that father to wrath and angry protest but which now for some reason only left him dazed and absent-minded. It was the colonies that had done it, he thought, and the studio talk of that dilettante architect. By and by David would distinguish himself at the bar, marry and settle down, and resume the orthodox outlook of the English, or as he liked to call it, the British church. The dinosaurs, my boy? No. What were they? David, the real dragons the dragons of the prime that swarmed over england and wales and scotland and europe asia and north america and i dare say africa too one of the most stupendous facts of what you call creation though perhaps only one amongst many skin diseases that have afflicted the planet well the dinosaurs went on developing and evolving and perfecting so rossiter says then they were scrap heaped what a waste of creative energy father ah it's rossiter who puts all these ideas into your head is it david flushing oh dear no i used to think about them at is about to say newnham but substitutes malvern at malvern father dryly i'm glad to hear you thought about something serious at any rate then in the midst of your scrapes and truancies but go on dear boy it's a delight to me to hear you speak it reminds me i mean your voice does of your poor mother you know i loved her very tenderly david and though it is all past and done with i believe i should forgive her now if she only came back to me i'm sometimes so lonely boy i wish you'd marry and settle down here there's lots of room for you some nice girl and give me grandchildren before i die but I suppose I must be patient and wait first for your call to the bar. What a dreary long time it all takes. Why can't they, with one so clever, shorten the term of probation? Or why wait for that to marry? I could give you an allowance. As soon as you were called, you could then follow the South Wales circuit. 
"'Well, go on about your dinosaurs. "'I seem to remember Professor Owen invented them, "'but he never wavered in his faith "'and was the great opponent of that rash man Darwin. "'Oh, I remember now the old controversies. "'What a stalwart was the Bishop of Winchester. "'They couldn't bear him at their scientific meetings. "'There was one at Bath, if I recollect right, "'and he put them all to the right about. "'What about your dinosaurs?' I'm not denying their existence. It's only the estimates of time that are so ridiculous. God made them and destroyed them in the great flood, of which their fossil remains are the evidence. David, however, would desist from pursuing such futile arguments, feel surprised indeed at his own outbreaks, except that he hated insincerity. However new and disturbing to his father were these flashes of the new learning, in his outward conduct he was orthodox and extremely well behaved. The spiritual exercises of the Reverend Howell had become jejune, and limited very much by his failing sight. The recovery after the operation had come too late in life to bring about any expansion of public or private devotions. Family prayers were reduced to the recital from memory of an exhortation, a confession, and an absolution, followed by the Lord's Prayer and a benediction. Services in the church were limited to morning and evening prayers, with communion on the first Sunday in the month, and a sermon following morning prayer. There was no one to play the organ if the schoolmistress failed to turn up, as she often did. David, however, scrupulously turned the normal congregation of five, Bridget, the maid of the time being, the gardener groom, the sexton, and a baker churchwarden, into six by his unvarying attendance. In the course of half his stay, the rumor of his being present and of his good looks and great spiritual improvement attracted quite a considerable congregation, chiefly of young women and a few sheepish youths, so that his father was at one and the same time exhilarated and embarrassed. Was this to be a church revival? If so, he readily pardoned David his theories on the dinosaurs, and his doubts as to the unvarying evidence of divine wisdom in the story of creation. If any other consideration than a deep affection for this dear old man and repentance for his unwise ebullitions of free thought had guided David in the matter, it was an utter detestation of the services and the influence of the Calvinist chapel in the village, the little Bethel, presided over by Pastor Pritterick, a fanatical blacksmith who alternated spells of secret drunkenness and episodes of animalism by orgies of self-abasement, during which he, in half-confessing his own lapses, attributed freely and unrebukedly the same vices to the male half of his overflowing congregation. These outpourings, Peccator Thranus with ye, Arguid Madeni me, extempore prayers, psalms chanted with a swaying of the body, hymns sung uproariously, scripture read with an accompaniment of groans, hysteric laughter, and interjections of assent, and a rambling discourse, lasting fully an hour, were in the Welsh language, and David on his three or four visits, and it can be imagined what a sensation they caused, the vicar's son himself perhaps about to confess his sins, understood very little of the subject matter, save from the extravagant gestures of the participants. 
but he soon made up his mind that religion for religion that expressed by the english well father you are right the british church in wales was many hundred times superior in reasonableness and stability to the negroid ebullitions of the calvinists as a matter of fact they were scarcely more followers of the reformer calvin than they were of ignatius loyola it was just a symptomatic outbreak of some prehistoric iberian silurian form of worship something deeply planted in the soil of wales something far older than druidism something contemporary with the beliefs of neolithic days eighteen years ago much of wales was as enslaved by whisky as are still celtic scotland celtiberian ireland lancashire london and wicked little kent it was only saved from going under completely by decennial religious revivals which for three months or so were followed by total abstinence and a fierce-eyed continence just about this time during david's extended spring holiday in wales he had brought many law-books down with him to read there had begun one of the newspaper-made famous revivals it was led by a young prophet a football halfback, or whatever they are called though i who prefer thoroughness would if i played football offer up the whole of my back to bear the brunt who saw visions of teutonically conceived angels with wings who heard voices was in constant communication with the redeemer of mankind and on familiar terms with god had a lovely tenor voice and moved emotional men and hysterical love-sick women to tears even to bellowings by his prayers and songs he had for some weeks been confined in publicity to half-contemptuous paragraphs in the south wales press then the daily chronicle took him up their well-known emotional article writer mr sigsby saw copy in him and to do him justice for there i agreed with him a chance to pierce the armour of the hand in glove with government distillers so went down to wales to write him up for three weeks he became more interesting than a cabinet minister indeed cabinet ministers or those who aspired to become such at the next turn of the wheel truckled to him some were afraid he might become a small messiah and lead wales into open revolt others that he might smash the whisky trade and impair the revenue mr lloyd george going to address a pro-boer meeting at aberswith was it encountered him at a railway junction attended by a court of ex-footballers and reformed roisterers and said in the hearing of a reporter i must fight with the sword of the flesh but you fight with the sword of the spirit whatever that may have meant and i do not pretend to complete accuracy of remembrance i only know i felt very angry with the whole movement at the time because it delayed indefinitely the daily chronicle's review of my new book well this evan in all such movements an evan is inevitable evan gwilym jones with the black eyes abundant black hair beautiful features he was a handsome lad and glorious voice addressed meetings in the open air and in every available building of four walls thousands withdrew their names from footballery nigh on two millions must have taken the pledge and not merely an anti-whisky pledge but a fierce renunciation of the most diluted alcohol as well 
and approximately two hundred and fifty thousand confessed their sins of unchastity and swore to be reborn galahads for the rest of their lives it was a spiritual spring cleaning as drastic and as overdone as are the domestic upheavals known by that name but it did a vast deal of good all the same to south wales and though it was a seventh wave the tide of temperance thrift cleanliness bodily and spiritual had risen to a higher level of average in the beautiful romantic principality ever since evan gwillem jones however overdid it he had to retire from the world to a home some said even to a mental hospital six months afterwards he emerged cured of his voices much plumper and perhaps poor soul shorn of some of his illusions and ideals but he married a grocer's widow of cardiff and the daily chronicle mentioned him no more the infection of his meetings however penetrated to the agricultural district in which pontystrad was situated five villages went completely off their heads the blacksmith pastor had to be put under temporary restraint quite decent-looking unsuspected folk confessed to far worse sins than they had ever committed there arose an aristocracy of outcasts three inns where little worse than bad beer was sold were gutted respectable farmers wives drank eau de cologne instead of spirits several overdue marriages took place there were a number of premature births and the membership of the football clubs was disastrously reduced such excitement was generated that little work was done and the illegitimate birth-rate of west glamorganshire always high for the opening months of nineteen o three became even higher david was enlisted by the employers of labour the farmers chemical works mining and smelting works managers squires and postmasters to restore order he preached against the revivalists not with any lack of sympathy any apology for the real ills which they denounced he spoke with emphasis against the loosening of morality recommended early marriage and above all education denounced the consumption of alcohol so strenuously and convincedly that then and there as he spoke he resolved himself henceforth to abstain from anything stronger than lager beer or the lighter french and german wines but he threw cold water resolutely on the fantastical nonsense that accompanied these emotional outbursts of so-called religion invited his hearers to study at any rate elementarily astronomy and biology did not run down football but advised a moderate interest only being taken in such futile sports recommended volunteering and an acquaintance with rifles as far as preferable seeing that we always stood in danger of a european war or of a drastic revival of insolent conservatism then he made his appeal to the women he spoke of the dangers of this hysteria the need there was for level-headed housekeeping women in our councils how they should first qualify for and then demand the suffrage having already attained the civic vote here some of the employers of labour disapproved plucked at his arm or hem of his reefer jacket and one squire lumbered off the platform but he held on warming with a theme that hitherto had hardly interested him 
His speeches were above the heads of his peasant audiences, but they were a more sensitive harp to play on than the average Anglo-Saxon audience. Many women wept, only decorously, as he outlined their influence in a reformed village, a purified principality. The men applauded frantically because, despite some prudent reserves, there seemed to be a promise of revolt in his suggestions. David felt the electric thrill of the orator in harmony with his audience, who, for that reason, will strive for further triumphs, more resounding perorations. He introduced scraps of Welsh, all his auto-intoxicated brain could remember, how physically true was that taunt of Dizzy's, inebriated with the exuberance of his own verbosity. And the delighted audience shouted back, "'You're the man we want. Into Parliament you shall go, Davy Bach,' and much else. So David restored the five villages to sobriety in life and faith, yet left them with a new enthusiasm kindled. Before he departed on his return to London and the grind of his profession, he had effected another change. Because he had spoken as he had spoken, and touched the hearts of emotional people, they came trickling back to his father's church, to the British church, as David now called it. Little Bethel was empty, and the pastor-blacksmith not yet out of the asylum at Swansea. The Reverend Howell Williams trod on air. His sermons became terribly long and involved, but that was no drawback in the minds of his Welsh auditory, though it made his son swear inwardly and reconciled him to the approaching return to Fig Tree Court. The old Druid felt inspired to convince the hundred people present that the church they had returned to was the church of their fathers, not only back to Roman times, when Glamorganshire was basking in an Italian civilization, but further still. He showed how the Druids were rather to be described as anti-Christian than anti with an I, and played ponderously on this quip. In Druidism, he observed, I am sure I cannot think why, but it was his hobby, you had a remarkable foreshadowing of Christianity, the idea of the human sacrifice, the atonement, the communion of saints, the mystic vine, which he clumsily identified with the mistletoe, and what not else. He read portions of his privately published Tales of Taliesin. In short, such happiness radiated from his pink-cheeked face and recovered eyes that David regretted in no wise his own lapses into conventional stereotyped religion. The Church of Britain might be stiff and stomachered as the offspring of Elizabeth, but it was stately, it was respectable, as outwardly was the great virgin queen, and it was easy to live with. Only he counseled his father to do two things, never to preach for more than half an hour, even if it meant keeping a small American clock going inside the pulpit ledge, and to obtain a curate, so that the new enthusiasm might not cool, and his father verging on seventy, might not overstrain himself. He pointed out that by letting off most of the glebe land and pretermitting David's pocket-money, he might secure a young and energetic Welsh-speaking curate, the remainder of whose living wage would, he felt sure, be found out of the diocesan funds of St. David's bishopric. 
the reverend howell let him have his way this was after david had returned to fig tree court and by the following june a stalwart young curate was lodged in the village and took over the bulk of the progressive church work from the fumbling hands of the dear old vicar he was a thoroughly good sort this curate troubled by no possible doubts whatever a fervent teetotaler a half-back or whole-back i forget which at football a good boxer and an unwearied organizer little bethel was sold and eventually turned into a seed merchant's repository and drying-room the curate in course of time married the squire's daughter and i dare say long afterwards succeeded the reverend howell vaughan williams when the latter died but that date is still far ahead of my story at any rate isn't it droll how these things come about david's action in this matter undertaken he hardly knew why did much to fetter mr lloyd george's subsequent attempts to disestablish the british church in wales what did bridget think of all this of the spiritual evolution of her nursling of his identity with the vicious shifty idle youth whose uncanny gift of design seemed to have been completely lost after his stay in south africa david vavasour williams had left home to the relief of his father and the whole village if even to the half-pitying regret of his old nurse in eighteen ninety six he had spent a year or more in mr prod's studio studying to be an architect or a scene painter then somehow or other he did not get on with mr prod and he enlisted impulsively in a south african police force in the army it seemed to bridget he had somehow become involved in a war with a south african people called by bridget the wild boars he is wounded or ill in hospital is little heard of almost presumed dead throughout all these five years he scarcely ever writes to his forgiving father maintains latterly a sulky silence then suddenly in the summer of nineteen o one returns preceded only by a telegram but apparently vouched for by this mr prod and announces himself as having forgotten his welsh and most of the events of his youth but having acquired a changed heart and an anxiety to make up for past ill behaviour by a present good conduct which seems almost miraculous well miracles were easily believed in by bridget perhaps his father's prayers had been answered providence sometimes meted out an overwhelming boon to really good people david was certainly a vavasour if there was nothing williamsy about his looks his mother in mrs bridget evanwy's private opinion had been a hussy was david his father's son hadn't she once caught mrs howell williams kissing a young stranger behind a holly bush and wasn't that why bridget had really been sent away she had returned to take charge of the pretty motherless little boy when she herself was a widow disappointed of children and the child was only three would she ever turn against her nursling now above all when he was showing himself such a son to his old father not she he might be who and what he would he was giving another ten years of renewed life to the dear old druid and the continuance of a comfortable home to his old nanny they talked a great deal up at little bethel of a change of heart perhaps such things really took place though bridget evanwy from a shrewd appraisement of the welsh nature doubted it 
She would like to, but couldn't quite believe that an angel from heaven had taken possession of David's body and come here to play a divine part, because David sometimes talked so strangely, seemed not only to doubt the existence of a heavenly host, but even of something beyond, so awful in Bridget's mind that she hardly liked to define it in words, though in her own Welsh tongue it was so earthily styled the big man. However, at all costs, she would stand by David, and without quite knowing why, she decided that on all future visits she herself would do out his room, would attend to him exclusively. The girl was a chatterer, albeit she looked upon Mr. David with eyes of awe and a most respectful admiration, while David on his part scarcely bestowed on her a glance. End of chapter 8